The following audio is from Heritage Christian Fellowship. More information about Heritage Christian Fellowship is available at heritagefellowship.net. Good morning, Heritage. How's everybody doing today? Uh, you 1030 people are so much more awake. Hey, do me a favor, grab your Bibles if you would and turn to the book of Colossians. If you don't have a Bible, wave your hand around, stick it up nice and high. We'll make sure you get one. It's good to have a Bible with you. Um, I mean, at the very least, if you have a Bible with you and this sermon stinks, which is a very real possibility, you can always read. You ever been there? Be honest, church. You've been there before. You've been in a service before. You were like five minutes in. Yeah, let's see what John's got to say. I'm out. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's good. And you're, you, you're sort of stuck. I mean, you, are, I mean you, you can get out, but it's awkward. People might judge you, you know, all that kind of stuff. So you're sort of stuck here. So it's good to have a Bible. Oh, the hands are going up now. They're like, yeah, we need Bibles. Awesome. So I have several announcements uh, while you're doing that. We'll be in Colossians chapter 1. First of all, um, oh, I forgot to do this at the first service. Oh, well, what do they know? Um, uh, if we were hoping to have uh, um, signups available starting today for the Footsteps of Paul trip that's coming up, but um, we're running a little bit late on them getting the blocks of air. They have to get all the airline tickets all reserved in blocks and all that stuff. So we're just waiting on a couple of final details. But for those of you that need to plan, plan on us departing for Greece around the middle of September. We're shooting for the second half of September so that kids can get off to school and, you know, all that kind of stuff first. So um, I, we should have signups available hopefully next week. I, I want to say definitely the second week. It's just not up to me necessarily, but we're working on it. So um, keep your ears open on that. Um, also, Thanksgiving service will be this Wednesday night at 6.30 at the Hub. Join us, if you would, your whole family for an opportunity. And, and we're going to talk about this in our service some today, about the idea of just really being able to set aside some time at the very beginning of a holiday um, to truly understand what we should be even most thankful for. So um, 6.30, we'll have communion together. It'll be a good time. Um, and then uh, also... Holiday food baskets. I want to thank you guys and congratulate you guys for your generosity um, with our holiday meals pro program. We were able to provide 12 heritage families with Thanksgiving meals, 26 families with Parent Life, which is a ministry for after school uh, teen mentoring and stuff here in the Valley. So 26 of those families and 68 foster families through DHS. So over 100 Thanksgiving meals you guys were able to provide here in the Valley. So thank you for that. Well done. Well done. Um, however, Jason Licato decided to show us all up this weekend. Um, if you guys know, Jason and his wife spearheaded the Feed My Starving Children project here in the Valley, and that went on this weekend. Thanks so many of you for your help and donations and things that participated in that. We did over 100 meals. That's good. We're proud of that. Jason's like, whatever, I did 124,632 meals through Feed My Starving Children. So praise God for that, right? Praise God for that. That was really, really cool. And then finally, stage decoration. Next Sunday after church, um, after this service, we're going to um, have a little mini Christmas party and we're going to be decorating the stage for Christmas. You guys know we like to put up some big trees. This year, I'm going to get the tree, so the decoration committee is nervous. But um, we're going we're gonna to do it up all Christmassy and everything. I would love to have some volunteers. If you guys want to hang out, we'll order some pizzas and string some lights and um, play some Christmas carols, whatever you want to do. But that'll be fun. So um, if you would, turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1 and... Oh, wait, 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 before you do that, one more thing. Um, if you've been around here for a long time, you know we used to do this and then we haven't done this in a really long time, so now we're going to do this again. Um, I used to give books away all the time. It, it's an opportunity we feel um, not just to bless you guys with some free books, but to also bring attention maybe to some different things that are being written and being put out there that we feel are really beneficial, that have really blessed us. And this one actually came to me um, at just the right time. Um, because of Acts 29, I got an advanced copy of this book several months ago, even while I was on sabbatical, and it was just a blessing. This is a book by Brian Loritz. Um, his father is Crawford Loritz. If you want to look up some preachers, man, those two guys, they've got that fiery gospel, Southern Baptist, African-American punch you in the gut with the gospel, um, and some of the most incredible theological uh, foundation. They're just, look at this. He's like, you're positioning, aren't you? I'm going to put them both over here. <laughs> no. um, but anyway, this, this, is, this guy is an incredible preacher. He's, he's pastoring a church in Mountain View, California right now. And he just put this book out. It's brand new. It's called Saving the Saved. And the subtitle is How Jesus Saves Us from Try Harder Christianity and into Performance-Free Love. 
Um, The back says, you already know this because you've tried it. Repeated attempts to earn God's love and approval have gotten you nowhere and they leave you exhausted. When performance taints your relationship with God, the Christian life turns into an unholy hustle, an unholy hustle, and it was never meant to be like this. So if you don't get one of the freebies, I really encourage you to get on Amazon or whatever and buy a copy of this book. It's phenomenal, based on the book of Matthew that he's teaching through. Um, And we have two rules when we give books away. If you don't remember, two rules. The rule number one is this, you have to actually read it. So don't be like, I was thinking of getting into reading. Maybe I'll try it. No, no, no. If you get it, it cannot collect dust. You have to actually read it. And rule number two, when you're done with it, you just bring it up here on a Sunday and put it on the stage and we'll make sure somebody else gets it. We want to keep it moving along. Amen? Everybody in? Just get that one over with, right? (laughs) And then there's someone else's over here. In the last service, during the prayer, someone came up and got one of the books. It was hysterical. I was like, well, well done. And here comes the other one. (laughs) All right, so here, I need you to do this now. Pay no attention to the girl in the front. If everyone would, grab your Bibles and stand with me. And we're going to read Colossians here, but before we do that, I'm going to read something else. I was just really kind of moved by this in the first service and even more so during worship in the other one. I, I don't know about you guys, but like for me, this has been a really hard week. It's been a really busy week. It's been a lot of stuff going on. Um, I was with a dear family here in our church Wednesday night while you guys were in service and watched them take this woman's mother and wrap her in a bag and put her out in a hospital because her mother had passed away. Um, We've got some dear friends that have been in the hospital this week. One of our elders was in a terrible motorcycle accident. Um, It's just been a really, really busy, a lot of stuff going on. It's been a tough week, and maybe some of you guys are like me this morning. You're just kind of dragging a little bit. And it feels almost like the last day of the week rather than the first day. And like you're dragging the weight of the week with you now instead of understanding that it's the first day when the mercies are new. We're starting over. And here's what, I, here's what I like. That song that Mitch just led us in here just a few minutes ago, that new one, you guys know that song wasn't just made up out of thin air, right? That's scripture that we were singing. But it's not just scripture. It's scripture that's telling a story of something real something genuine, something significant. In the book of Revelations, chapter five, it says this. I saw the right hand of him who was seated on the throne and a scroll was written within and on the back it was sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look within, and I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. He's, he's, we believe this to be the deed, if you will, of heaven and earth. The, 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 the document, if you will, that says, this is the one who is worthy, who has rescued earth, who is the Lord, the king, who rules and reigns and owes, owns the earth, and, and we have fallen. None of us are worthy. None of the elders are worthy. None of the angels are worthy. And So here's this scroll being held up, and they're saying, who's worthy? And no one's coming forward. And the apostle John, as he's seeing the scene, he's weeping. He's feeling, we have no hope. I can't do this. We can't do this. These elders can't do this. Even these powerful angels, no one can do this. And he's there weeping. And it says, and behold, one of the elders said, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and the seven seals. And listen, listen for the lyrics of that song. And between the throne, I saw four living creatures. And among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had just been slain. With seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits God sent out on all the earth. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals for you were slain. And by your blood, you have ransomed people for God from every tribe, language, people, and nation. And you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God. And they shall reign upon the earth. And I looked around and I heard the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voices of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads of thousands and thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor. And glory and blessing. 
And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits upon the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever. And the four living creatures said amen and the elders fell down and worshiped. Now here's what I want to tell you. If you're new here and you're like, hey, what's the deal with all this singing? You got a guy singing about incense, 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 and he's wearing Birkenstocks. What kind of hippie commune have I wandered into here? Here's what it's good to remember sometimes. This is going to be a lot of what we're going to talk about this morning. Something really happened. Like we're not here as part of some philosophy. We're not gathered here together to learn some better ascended way of living. That's real. That worship seems real. That worship is real. And even in there, even as we gather here together and sing, we are somehow in some insane way joining in with all the saints of history, all the angels of history, the elders before the throne, and we are joining and singing to Jesus somehow apart from time, even in that moment and saying, worthy is the lamb who is slain. Church, you're part of something real. It's good to remember that, right? And do you remember a few minutes ago, even before that, we sang that song. Some of you who have been in church for a long time, you remember the Apostles' Creed. As you were singing that, did you feel a little warm almost inside, like singing those old words? It's because we're part of something. Something that has been going on long before us, and should God tarry, it will go on after us. But we are part of something real. We don't worship a philosophy. We worship a real, living, risen king. We are not wasting our time here this morning. We're doing something eternal. And so what we're doing right now, if, you, if, you've, if you're new here, if you haven't heard the story yet, when we open the text, before we even read this, like, like we realize in our hands, we hold something that is, this is the written word of God. And church history, long before we existed, long before everyone had our opportunity to grab their own copies of the Bibles, copies of the Bible were rare. And they would get together for the reading of the word. And maybe the pastor would grab the Bible and he would open up the word of God. And because they had such a genuine understanding of the reality of this word and such an appreciation because it was so much rarer than what we we bust phones out and we can read it. They didn't have that. And so they would stand just in honor of the blessing, gift, and authority of the word of God just to honor it. And the pastor would read the text and he would say, this is the word of the Lord. It wasn't like just tradition. Like this was, their hearts were moved and they would respond and they would say, thanks be to God, because they were thankful that they had the opportunity to hear God's word. And it's good for us to remember that we're part of a real history. We're part of a living, breathing organism, the holy church of God. And we're part of that cathedral of people in the throne room of God singing, worthy is the lamb of God. So church, let's join in with our forefathers, with the elders before us, and let us read the word of God from Colossians chapter 1. We always thank God the Father, beginning in verse 3, of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you As indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing. As it also does among you. Heritage, you're part of that. He's talking about you. Since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he's made known to us your love in the Spirit. And also from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we thank you for this reality that we're part of something. We are not wasting our time. Lord, even as we sing, we are joining with the host of heaven in proclaiming that you are worthy of our praise. You are worthy of our attention. 
You are worthy of our time, of our heart, our treasures, and our lives. So fathers, we open your word. May your spirit blow in this place. And I pray, God, that you would awaken dead affections. Lord, if we've grown cold or bored, Lord, will you awaken our hearts again to the reality of who you are? May dormant parts of our spirit rise to life again that we might again remember how much you love us and respond in humble gratitude and with great love because you have first loved us. That's our prayer. So may the spirit move in this place and may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Oh, my rock, my king, my redeemer. In Jesus' name and God's people said, amen. Amen. You may finally be seated. Sorry to keep you standing. That's just good stuff though, right? That's just good to remember. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. We are in the book of Colossians. And we're kind of, we're kind of going slow. <laughs> we're kind of tiptoeing our way through the book of Colossians, you might say, one step at a time. Sam last week took two whole verses. And I'm like, well, anything he can do, I'll do it too. So we're going to do two verses, mainly because, I'll just be honest with you, Sam's actually guest teaching in Wairika today, so um, let's talk about him. Um, last week, <laughs> last week, Sam taught for me, and he stopped at a weird place. And so as, I was, as I'm studying and trying to prep for this week, I'm like, well, I feel like we're, we're left on a hand, uh, there's still like some more to cover over here, but it, then we move into verses 13 through 14, which Oh my goodness, I can't wait to preach that. But I'm not, I don't want to cheapen that and dull it down and have to go short because that stuff's so good, so I'm not really sure what I'm going to do, and I just had to spend some time talking through some of this stuff, but, but it just turns out, well, this is Thanksgiving week, right? And I'm, and I'm looking at this verse, and, and Paul's saying, may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance, patient with joy, giving thanks to the Father. And so, I'm, I mean, I'm a preacher who... I'm, I hate going topical usually, but I, you know, I'll jump on an opportunity when it comes, and I'm like, thankful, let's take a look at this. And I started realizing something about this. As you're opening the book of Colossians, Paul gives you this insight into his prayer life, right? And, and let's be fair, he wrote most of the New Testament, so we might want to know something about the guy's prayer life if it's been given to us, correct? So, so what are the things that Paul prays for? He tends to open every one of his letter with these prayers for the churches that he's writing to. Here he's writing to a church in Colossae. This is real. Everything we're talking about is a real place, real time. He's writing to this church, and he talks about he's praying for them. And, and compared to not just here, but in all the other letters, well, except Galatians. I mean, Galatians is probably my favorite book just for the opening, because in most of them, he's like, man, I'm praying for you, and I want this, and I love, and I never cease to. Then he gets to Galatians, and he's like, grace and peace. Listen, how have you messed this up so fast? <laughs> like it's the best book in the world. I love that. Maybe because that's what I need to hear when I'm in trouble. But, but, but in all the other letters, like Paul opens up with these prayers and, he, and we get this window into his prayer life. So you see at times he prays for God's will and for growth in God's will. And Sam talked about that last week with finding vision, finding where God's going and, and, and kind of understanding the work that God's doing. Um, there's other times where he prays for peace for the church, like especially, for example, the Philippians. It's about struggles, it's about difficulty. He knows life for them is about to get harder and harder, and so he's praying that God's peace would be there with them. He prays for growth. He mentions that here in this text as well, that they would grow in the knowledge of, and power of God. Um, but along those same lines, part of that growth, or maybe you would say a byproduct or evidence of that growth, one of the things he prays for is that the people of God would grow in thanksgiving and gratitude. He both models it as he's thankful for them, but at the same time, then he's praying that they would grow and be thanks. And it's, it's all over the book of Colossians. So I'm going to take you guys all over the place within this one book. I won't take you outside the book, but I want you to track with me. So take a look at how often this comes up. This, is an, uh, it, this isn't just Jeff taking one word and saying, no, oh, that's kind of important. There's a theme through this whole book that Paul pushes on that I want you to see. So verse 3 we read, chapter 1, verse 3, we always thank God the Father of your Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. And then verse 12, the one we just read, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in, with the inheritance of saints in light. Then hang a right and look at chapter 3, verse 15. Here he says to the church, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts 
to which indeed you were called in one body, and be what? Thankful. Let's try it again, 1030 service. And be what? That's what we're looking for. Then, just in case you forgot it, verse 16, same chapter. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. And then, lest you forgot it again, look at verse 17. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving what? Thanks to God the Father through him. Hang right a little further. Chapter 4, verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And then, hang back a left, and I did skip it on purpose because I want to talk about it a little bit more. Look at chapter 2, verse 6. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. In that one, he says in particular, hey, abounding in thanksgiving. Not just be thankful, abounding in thanksgiving. And that, that word, some of your translations, depending on which one you use, I'm using the English Standard Version, but some of yours will say overflowing with gratitude. And the sense in that is there's something in there that's going to come out because it's in there. So if I got a coffee cup and you bump into me, what's going to come out of the cup? Coffee, because it's in there. So it's not something that we manufacture to push out, but it's there. And so what, what he's saying is this, Colossian church, I want you to have such a heart of gratitude that as people bump into you, as people cross paths with you, as people interact with you, rub shoulders with you, get to know you, there is this abundance of thanksgiving in you that just kind of always comes out. It's the same word Jesus uses in John 10, 10, when he says, uh, the thief came to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. That, that you would just be overflowing with this thanksgiving. But here's the key to it. It's not manufactured it's there. It's on the inside and it's coming out because it's there. So how does it get there? That's what we're going to talk about a little bit today. Because Paul stresses thanksgiving and thankfulness in all of his writings. In fact, he doesn't just stress it like, hey, be thankful, but he sets the idea of gratitude and thanksgiving up as not just a characteristic of a Christian, but one that is so important, he, he shows that it actually sets apart the believer from the unbeliever as one of the more key differences between the two. So for example, in the book of Romans, in that chapter, Romans chapter one, where he's laying out the fallen state of humanity for everyone, even Christians, before they find Christ. And, and he's talking about kind of how that whole spiral of sin goes. And, and he, so he gets to this point where he's saying that the revelation of God has appeared to all men, that everyone's been presented to some degree or another with the reality of God. And there's, there's a response that's required of it. There's something that they have to do with it. But in Romans 1.21, he talks about those who reject Jesus, who reject the gospel. And he says, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. So even in that moment, when he says the gospel has come to those who reject Jesus, the two things that mark those who reject the gospel of Jesus Christ were that they did not honor him as God and they did not give thanks. So we're not just talking about some like polite you know, mannerism that people should have. There's something core in here that people who reject the gospel are saying, okay, I'm not going to honor God as God. I will choose my own path. I'm not going to bow to what he asks of me. And I will not give thanks. You know, well, why, well, why would they give thanks anyway? Well, the sense there and part of giving thanks is you could almost say um, assigning blame. And I don't always mean that in a bad way. So like if, some, if, if something happened to me and it was sort of my own fault, they might say, Jeff, well, yeah, he's in that situation, but he has no one but himself to thank. So there's an idea when you are giving thanksgiving, you are assigning either credit or blame to that person for what's happened. It's a very antithetical um, uh, reaction to pride because instead of me, 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 you're saying to someone else, this has happened in my life because of you. And in giving thanks, I'm acknowledging that that's not of me, that that's of you. And so there's an element of gratitude that is so um, 
it's a core characteristic that it even sets apart the believer from the unbeliever. Now, hold on, you might say. And by the way, it, he goes on in other places when he's talking to young Timothy, the pastor, and, and he's telling him, Paul's saying, hey, you're going to be going out there and you're going to be spreading the gospel and it's going to be hard because the culture around you, Timothy, is rising up against you at the moment and you've got people coming against you and he says, who are lovers of themselves and they are not grateful. He, he lays out that same sort of path. So you go, okay, so what are you saying then, Jeff? Like, Christians are thankful and unbelievers are not? Absolutely not. Not saying that whatsoever. Um, it's Thanksgiving week. Christian and unbeliever. Like, this is not a, if you will, holy holiday. Thanksgiving might be a Christian attribute. It might be a Christian characteristic, but this is not a spiritual holiday. You're not going to find the holiday of Thanksgiving in the Bible. And yet, families all over the place are going to get together. And, and maybe your family does like ours, where you'll sit around the table and everybody goes, okay, tell us some things that you're thankful for. And of course, believer and unbeliever obviously are going to have things that they're thankful for. Um, but there's a difference between the two. There's, there's a man named Jonathan Edwards. If you want to read something deep, you want to read something meaty, there's a guy named Jonathan Edwards who wrote a book called Religious Affections. And it is powerful. And it also makes you feel a little guilty when you get to the end of it and you realize this dude was like in his early 20s as he's writing this stuff. You're like, how is that even possible? But in his book, Religious Affections, Jonathan Edwards talks about this idea of gratitude and, and he denotes two different types of gratitude that are out there. One, he calls natural gratitude. And natural gratitude, everyone has. Because, I mean, we're thankful for things, right? Um, if your team wins the championship, then you're thankful for that. If someone gives you a gift, you're, you're going to be thankful for that. Um, I, just, I just had a birthday recently. I have a friend of mine who um, is a fly fisherman too, and he was like, hey, you're going fishing with me on your birthday. I, you don't get to say no. You, you row people all the time, so you're going to go with me, and I'm going to row. You just get to sit up front all day and fish. And I was like, all right, man, sounds good to me. And I got there. He had food and drink all lined out. He had all this stuff and just went out there and fished all day, caught a whole bunch of steelhead. And then that night he bought chicken wings and brought them to my house. This dude almost knows me better than Bronwyn, I think. It's like almost embarrassing. Um, we might be dating now, I think. I don't know. It's kind of weird. I'm not, I'm not, I'm joking. If you're visiting, that's totally a joke. Anyway. So, so at the end of that day, like I felt, I felt special, like I felt appreciated. I felt like, man, this guy, look what this guy did for me. I was thankful for that. But Jonathan Edwards would say, that's good, Jeff. You should be thankful to him. But that's natural gratitude. That's not necessarily the kind of gratitude Paul's talking about in Colossians when he talks about Christians who have this overflowing gratitude. Natural gratitude is based on things, always. Um, it's based on benefit. I'm thankful to you because something you did affected me in a way that I appreciate. Something you gave me affected me in a positive way. I'm thankful that you did this. I'm thankful that you gave me that. I'm thankful for whatever the case may be. And so this year, people will sit around Thanksgiving tables, believers and unbelievers alike, hopefully believers and unbelievers at the same table, sharing things that they are, you would say, naturally thankful for. I'm thankful for our nation. I mean, Thanksgiving is a holiday that really honors some of the roots, even Christian roots, of our nation. And so it's good, man, to sit there and go, I'm thankful. It's, it's almost, especially if you've traveled a lot of different countries and third world countries, it's almost embarrassing to think about the fact that we have a national holiday to celebrate our roots that is characterized by such abundance. Because it is, right? I mean, the, the, those of you that volunteered at the Feed My Starving Children thing, how small were those meals that you were packing? Imagine that was your Thanksgiving dinner. Would your reaction be the same? Probably not. So we should be thankful for that. And I, I don't, in no way do I put that on you as like, let's have some American guilt now. For, no, we are blessed. And that is a gift from God the Father to us that we get to live in a place like that. And we should be thankful. Amen? And people will be thankful for families. People will be thankful for time off. Um, people will be thankful for, I guess there's three or four people somewhere they'll be thankful to watch the Lions on TV, but I, don't, I guess they're all in Detroit. Um, you know what I mean? Like there's all sorts of, but, but the, the thing is, and I, I'm not, I don't mean to cheapen them, I'm just trying to differentiate between the two. So please hear my heart on that. Th that's all thanksgiving that's around things. It's all Thanksgiving that's more around. He would say that those are natural things that natural people of any persuasion would be naturally thankful for. But the Thanksgiving that Paul is talking about is a little bit different. And Jonathan Edwards in that book, Religious Affections, refers to that kind of Thanksgiving as, and this is going to sound redundant, but it's not. 
gracious gratitude. That's what he calls it. Gracious gratitude. And the word gracious at the beginning is not an adjective. It's not really meant to describe the type of gratitude. It's more, it's more about the source of the gratitude, which is the grace of God. So let me, let me show you what I mean, because you can see it in Colossians chapter 1. So take a look, going back again at verse 3. Paul starts this, you know, my Bible, I don't know if yours does, but some sections will have little headings. Mine even starts out, thanksgiving and prayer. Okay, so what is he thankful for? We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed the whole world, as it also does, look at, look at the end, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Now, I want you to track with me on something here. Paul's talking about an event. He's not talking philosophically here as he's talking to these guys. Something actually happened. And he's thankful for this thing that happened. And what he's talking about in these verses when he says that the, your faith in Christ Jesus, the hope laid up for in heaven, at the end of verse 6, that the gospel came among you, you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. He's talking about the conversion of the Colossian people. So the people of Colossae, this is not a church Paul planted. Paul went to nearby Ephesus, and one day he's there preaching the gospel and raising up elders and spreading the gospel in the city of Ephesus, and there's a guy there named Epaphras. We read his name when we read through the text earlier, right? Epaphras is there, hears the gospel, is saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. He understands the gospel. He, he chews on it and realizes the reality of it. He believes in Jesus Christ. He believes in the atoning work of Christ, and he's changed, and he's saved. And now, knowing this truth, this is what he knows. He knows something happened. And I'm not even necessarily talking to him about to him in that moment. The gospel Paul is giving to him is, hey, something happened. So Paul, or excuse me, not Paul, Epaphras, just got saved, learns all this, leaves Ephesians, or leaves the Ephesians, goes to Colossae, where he's from, and gathers all these people together there. Maybe it's his friends, maybe it's his family, maybe it's his neighbors, who, maybe he just stood on a street corner, I don't really know. And he gets these guys together and he's like, guys, listen, something happened. He did not go into there with a philosophy. He went in there to talk about a person. He said, listen, you guys don't know this. You're up here in this area. And down in Israel, a man came. But not just a man. He was the Messiah. Jesus Christ himself. Jesus, the Messiah, God himself in flesh, came. He walked the earth perfectly. He never sinned but they killed him. Now imagine the people of Colossus, they're hearing all this, what, the Messiah came? Israel, down there, right? Yeah, but they killed him. What? What do you, this is not good news. This is what gospel means. You said you had good news, he's dead. No, 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 I haven't got to the good part yet. Listen, they put him on the cross, but that, that wasn't even just the people so much as a plan God had in place where the sin of every man and woman, the wrath against that sin was poured out on Jesus there on the cross, and he died, but he rose again. Get out of here, Paul. No, no, listen, I've seen him. Paul's seen him, and I just met with Paul. I heard this story. I know for myself, listen, he rose again. Jesus is alive, and he's in heaven now, and anyone who puts their faith in Christ, understands the, the work that he did, believes in these things, turns from their sin, they're forgiven. You're forgiven. There is freedom. And he tells this to them. And the people hear this gospel. And they, as it says in verse 6, they understand this gospel. They hear this truth. They understand this gospel. They put their faith in Jesus. And everything for them changes. Not because of a philosophy. But something happened. And they heard it. And they believed it. And everything changed at this point. Let me show you what I mean by change. Look at who they were. Colossians 1 verse 21. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds. Now, this is who they were. Now, a lot of people in our day and age, we are not told this. We are told in our culture that people are basically good. That, you know, we, we might not all be great, but we're pretty good. We're certainly not as bad as this or certainly not as bad as that. But 
The problem with that, if you're a person who believes or seeks to learn more and follow Christianity, the, the problem with that philosophy that says that we're basically good is pretty much all of the Bible. That's pretty much the problem. Because when you interact with Scripture, you run across this. You run across this truth that points out the things in our lives that aren't quite in line with God's will. There may be things that in that moment are acceptable to us, but you start understanding, man, there's, there's, there's a God in heaven that's created me, that has authority over me. That I, I answer to him, and he's holy, and he's good, but, but I, I'm not doing these things. And he says to them that they are alienated from God, hostile in their minds, and doing evil deeds. I want you to think about this for just a minute, okay? Alienated from God. This does not mean that they sin against God, and God goes, fine, then I'm out. Like, God's not pouting, Okay? What it is is sin is not just willful disobedience, but it literally and, and, and it actually causes a separation between man and God. God is a holy, just, good God. And we would never take a judge, put him in a position here in our valley, and say, you're a good, just judge, and then watch him ignore violation after violation after violation and say, yeah, but you're still pretty good, you're just like that, we would fire that judge, correct? Amen? Well, so God is just. He's not just just in terms of his characteristics. Like, he even defines what is just. He is just. And so when man sins against God, we've rebelled against him, and there's this separation that's occurred. And, and here's what you've got to understand how dire that situation is. To be apart from God it is to be pointed towards death. And again, especially if you're an unbeliever, so... so when you run across these things in the Bible, those who don't believe in Jesus, I understand, believe me, how your initial reaction to that can be offense. Who are you to tell me? I'm a pretty good person. The, the tendency can be to feel offense to that, but I, I want you to hang with me. Don't get so stuck on that you miss the actual good part that's coming. But, but another part that's tough is you go, not, not only have you sinned against God, but the result of that sin has damned you towards death. Now you can hear that and be like, what kind of God would do that? Like God is up in heaven saying, okay, Jeff, sin, then fine, die. That's not how it works. God is life. God is, in him is life. In him is eternal life. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so when sin and rebellion separate us from God, we are separating ourselves from the source of all life. It's, it, it's a curse that, re, that is just a byproduct of, it's the consequence of sin. It's not God being grumpy going, then fine. And we're alienated from this God who is the source of life because of our sin. Not only that, it says we're hostile in mind towards him. And, and it doesn't just mean that we're like always thinking evil thoughts against God. Most, most people probably aren't doing that, although maybe in seasons. Uh, I know many atheists that you can see on TV are, and uh, I know not all atheists feel this way, but some of them seem to be really angry at something that they don't actually believe exists, which I think is a little weird. I don't know anyone that's angry at Bigfoot, but um, like they're really mad at God, but they don't believe God exists, so it's, it's odd. But, but that's not what I mean. I, I, I mean... Hostile of mind also means um, uh, we, we are not thinking toward him. It's like a trajectory. Does that make sense? Like God has a plan. God has a will. God has a kingdom that's doing this. And man has in his thoughts and in his mind and in his decisions turned away from that. So it's antithetical, you might say. It's a trajectory. And then he also says doing evil deeds. And you say, well, what were those evil deeds? Well, Paul describes them. You can look to the right again in Colossians chapter 3. And he says in verse 5, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. So this is the characteristics. That, listen, this is who they were. It's not hypothetical. Paul's saying this is who you guys were, you know. But something happened. Not just a philosophy, something literally happened. This is who they were. Paul goes on later to say, by the way, that they were enslaved. He says they were in darkness. He says they were trapped. He says they were dead. 
but something happened. We read it in our text in verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saint. And here's what I want you to hear. So go back to that verse 21, Colossians 1, 21. And now you were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. But look what it says. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. He's saying you were alienated, you were hostile in mind, you were committing evil deeds, but then he goes on in the same sentence to finish off and says, but now you're presented holy, blameless, and above reproach. So what happened between this and this? How did they go from alienated, doing evil deeds, hostile in mind, to blameless, holy, above reproach? Something happened. The book of Colossians and what Paul's talking about here and the thing that Paul is giving thanks for, the thing he's pushing them to be thankful for, they are not, please hear me, the Colossian church is not a group of people who got their act together. Hear me on that. The Colossian church is not a group of people who were like this, but then they sort of realized they were like this, got their act together, and now they're like this. That is not the story of the Colossian church. Praise God. The story of the Colossian church is that they were risen in Christ. Now hear that. They didn't rise. They were risen. In other words, it happened to them. It wasn't something they did on their own. They didn't figure it out. They didn't find the 12 steps to this. They didn't get this together. They didn't stop. They were changed. Something happened. And this is the part where those that are offended by the Bible, when it points the finger at the sin, they need to hang in long enough to hear this part. Because this is the part everyone's actually after anyway. I mean, doesn't even the romance movies we see from Hollywood and stuff like that, doesn't it always hold up and value this kind of love that loves someone for who they are? Isn't that the kind we want to be? Imagine if your marriage to your spouse, on the day that the vows were taken, it said something like, I promise to love you, as long as you do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. What kind of relationship would that be? How would you ever rest in that? Feeling that if I at any moment fail in one of those things, that covenant's broken and they can just walk. How would you ever rest? How would you ever survive? How would you ever trust? That's not what is happening here. What's happening here? What has happened to them is a completely different type of love. And here's what I want you to understand. If you take anything from this, if you don't understand this point, you're going to come out of this sermon thinking I'm saying something that I'm absolutely not saying. This is a Thanksgiving sermon. And Paul's talking about wanting increases in gratitude. But listen, do not go, what was Jeff's sermon about? Oh, it was about Thanksgiving. We should be more thankful. So I'm going to go home this week and try to find some ways to be more thankful. I'll, I'll write some thank you notes to some people that I'm thankful for. Um, Thanksgiving Day, we'll sit around the table and, and do some Thanksgiving stuff. We'll talk about what we're more thankful. I'm going to do some things to be more thankful. It's not what I'm saying. In no way am I commending to you at all going and doing anything to become more thankful. Everybody hear me on that? That's work, performance-driven. That's behavior on the outside. Paul's talking about what Jonathan Edwards referred to earlier as gracious gratitude. In other words, a thankfulness that overflows from the heart of the Christian who has understood and knows and believes in the grace of God. This is what he's talking about. This is a heart thing, not an action thing. And that the person who understands the reality of what God has done for them and the grace of God applied to them, the person that understands that, he's saying, you'll just naturally be a grateful person. I don't need to tell someone who understands and meditates on what God has done for them in their life to be thankful. They'll just be that. Because it's a marker, it's, it's a core characteristic of what someone whose lives have been changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's part of what will just happen to them. And so when he says, I want you to grow in the grace, he doesn't go, I want you to be more thankful, so do it like this. Number one, tomorrow I want you to sit down with a card, find 10 people in your lives that have done some things for you, and write some thank you notes just out of the blue. Number two, later down the road, 2,000 years from now, the rest of you don't worry. Some of you are going to live in a country where you're going to have a holiday once a year that's dedicated towards Thanksgiving. So make sure you get people around the table and take a moment to talk about the things that you're thankful. That's not what he's doing. 
if you notice, when he goes through all those things, who does he thank? He's not thanking the Colossian people for becoming so gracious. He's thanking God because they did a work in, because God did a work in the Colossian people. And that is what this core thing is. That's the difference between just naturally thankful for benefits that come my way. That's the kind of gratitude and heart understanding that exists in a believer that allows you to be thankful even when things are coming your way that are not beneficial to you. That's the kind of thing that allows the family I sat with this week, Wednesday night while you guys were at the midweek study probably, I'm over at someone's house, a dear couple at our church, watching them as they zip one of them's mother up in a bag and wheel her out because she passed away. And there were tears, absolutely, but there was a, there was a, a core in there of joy at knowing the reality of the gospel and how the gospel had affected this woman's life as well that was there. That's not natural. You ever known one of those believers that, that they're on their deathbed? Maybe one of those seasoned saints that's just worked or just walked with the Lord for a really long time and now they're laying there on their deathbed. The cancer diagnosis has come. There seems to be no hope and you are kind of freaking out. You don't even know what to say to them because you just, man, what do I say? And they just keep saying gracious stuff back. You ever know people like that? That you just want to mourn and they're just like, oh, it's, I, I'm, I'm okay. That's not natural. That's not natural gratitude. In fact, the natural part of us fights death at every turn. And yet, as we're losing, if you will, that battle with death, there's a gratitude that comes out in the heart of a believer that, that is rooted into something much more significant than the circumstances going on around them. That's what Paul's pushing on these people. Life's going to get hard for a lot of people here. And he wants them to be rooted in something much deeper and much more significant than what's going on around them. And that's what we are called to do. Look, there are so many things we should be thankful for this year. I mean, we, we are so blessed to live in this nation, aren't we? Amen? We are so blessed. We are so blessed that we have the kind of fellowship that we have here, even the freedom to do this. We are so blessed that we have the word of God in our hands. Do you know the story of how this even got printed? The lives and the blood that was spilled to free this so that you could read it now, even on your phone? Like, we are so blessed. One of, I told you earlier, one of the elders in our church was in a bad motorcycle accident this week, and here he is in a hospital with doctors and nurses using all sorts of technology in some of the best care you can possibly imagine when a guy like that might have died years ago if he didn't have that kind of care around him. He is blessed. We are blessed. But I want us to be careful, because if we're not careful— the Christian will approach Thanksgiving this week exactly like everyone else, whether they believe in Jesus or not, and will only be thankful for things, and will only be thankful for benefits, and will be naturally thankful, and we will forget to be rooted into the sort of gracious gratitude that can permeate every area of your life. If you're rooted in that, you will just naturally be grateful in everything else. So Heritage, be thankful but not because I'm sending you home with some be thankful homework. This is what I'm pushing. You want to be thankful? Grow in the understanding and knowledge of the gospel of Jesus Christ. As verse, what is it, verse 6 says, you heard and understood the grace of God in truth. That's what I want to push on you because church, something happened that has changed everything. Don't forget that. It's not just a philosophical movement and we go, oh, then let's be thankful because philosophically thankfulness is good. We should do, no, 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 no. Something happened and your gratitude's rooted in a real event. Paul goes to tell them that you were enslaved and now you're free. You were in darkness, but you've been moved into light. You were, in, you were dead in Christ, now, or you were dead, but now you have raised with Christ. Like something happened and something changed. Don't ever forget that, church. And so here's what we're going to do. Like I said, it's easy for Sunday morning to feel like the last day of the week before everything starts over again on Monday. And it's easy for us to be worn down and tired and all those kinds of things. But, but let's take an opportunity to remember Sunday's the first day, the Lord's day, when Christ rose again and everything changed forever again. And let's take opportunity right now. I'm going to ask they bring the lights back down and I want you where you're at, just bow your heads. 
bring the lights down, even in worship and stuff, people are like, why do we do this? Is that some weird meditation thing? No, it, a lot of times it's just, we just want to eliminate distraction and give us an opportunity to just focus on what's important. And here's what I want you to think about for just a minute. First to the Christian. I want you to think about the day you were saved. Do you remember it? Think about the first time you heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Or maybe you were saved as a kid and then some new understanding or some, whatever the case may be, that day when you're just, that, that, that just came alive. Do you remember it? Do you remember people maybe around you when you responded to the gospel of Jesus with, with tears in their eyes? Because You know why? Because something happened. And everything changed for you. Think about the day that he forgave your sins. Think about that day that you realize you're adopted into the family of God. And now I want you to think about this. Think about your worst day. Think about your lowest day. That day you remember but nobody else knows about as much as you can help it. But that day that the devil remembers and he whispers into your ear every once in a while just to ruin your mood. That thing maybe that you did or do that Satan likes to bring to your mind and say, you, you cannot possibly believe God loves you like that. Here's what I want to tell you. Something happened. And the Bible says in the book of Romans that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The God that Colossians is going to say holds everything together, laid his life aside for you. And, and look, I don't mean the group. I'm talking about you. There's no group plan going into heaven. We're going in single file. God chose you, even at your worst. And when he looks at you now, he doesn't see that track record anymore. Satan remembers it, you remember it. But God sees the track record of Christ, the righteousness of Jesus Christ applied to your life. Now, you dwell on that for a minute and tell me you don't feel some gratitude welling up in your heart. That the creator of heaven and earth would lay his life aside for you, to forgive you, to adopt you into his family, to save you and to promise you eternal life? Chew on that a minute. And to the unbeliever, please hear me in this. Our selfishness and our rebellion and our sin, even if we're at a place in our life where we're okay with it, there is a God and creator that has made all things, including you. And he does have, you might say, creator's rights. He's God. He created us. And so our sin our rebellion, our selfishness, our self-determination, our I'll call the shots, I don't want some Bible to tell me what's good and what's not. That's sin against God that destines us to death. But something happened. God became flesh, lived the perfect sinless life, went to the cross where the wrath of God against all sin, including yours, was poured out on his shoulders. And he died the death that we were destined for. He rose again. It happened. I've been to Israel. I've seen the empty tomb. He rose again. And he says, to those who will turn away, who will repent of their sin, turn from that sin and put their faith in Jesus Christ, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. And I'm begging you that your name will be added to that long, long list from the people of Colossians all the way to the people in this room that says, I have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and I believe. I'm begging you, man. Put your faith in Jesus. Repent of your sin and turn to him. And understand that this isn't some being called out on the carpet for your failures. This is a God of love and grace with his arms wide open begging you to come to the family that you might live. And then for all of us, think about this. So this, this Thursday, 
There's a lot of people that are going to get together and they're going to have family around and they're going to have big, amazing, festive Thanksgivings. But that's not everybody. For some people, Thanksgiving is going to be hard. There's people in this room that have lost loved ones this year. This will be the first Thanksgiving without them. There's people in this room that, that maybe your Thanksgiving meal is not going to be quite so extravagant because it's not been an easy 2016 financially. There's a lot of reasons for a lot of people to go into a day like Thanksgiving and go, I don't know how to be thankful for anything right now. Then let me remind you, something happened. The God that holds everything together, including your life, died for you and has brought you from darkness into light. And he still loves you and he is still on the throne. And I guarantee you, no matter how hard life gets now, you will one day stand in that room with the myriads of angels singing, worthy is the lamb that was slain. He's gonna get you there. He even promises to use the difficulties in your life right now to grow you to your benefit over time. He has not abandoned you. Why would God become man, suffer the way he did and die for you and then go, oh, but you know what, forget about him now. Just, I'm just gonna leave him on their own. The old hymn says, his eye is on the sparrow and I know he watches me. So may your gratitude be rooted in the reality that something happened. Jesus died for you. And yes, it might be hard. And yes, there might be difficulties. And yes, there might be circumstances that are hard. But your heart of gratitude is going to grow out of the gospel of Jesus Christ, not out of the circumstances around you, to the degree that then you can face those circumstances and still have peace. And that's what we're after. Church, Jesus loves you. He died for you. And he's coming again for you. Amen? Will you stand and let me pray for you? Father, thank you for including us. What a blessing. Whatever circumstance of life that led us to a place that we got to hear your gospel and respond to it is an incredible gift from you, God. Lord, even the ability to believe is a grace from God, and we just, we are so thankful. God, I pray for everyone here, myself included, God, may we have the cross first and foremost on our mind as we go about this week. May we be grateful for the things uh, around us. May we be grateful for homes or family or friends or, or whatever it is. Lord, we want to be grateful for those things, but I pray, God, that for those of us that follow you, Jesus, we would be rooted into something, the reality that something happened that would produce an abundant, overflowing gratitude because it's in there, because you have created these new hearts. So God, may we be gracious people, thankful and gracious to others, and may we carry this same hope regardless of circumstances, Lord, so that the rest of the world questions. I pray, God, for people in this room, may family members even this week ask them the reason for the hope that is in them. And I pray, God, that you would save more. Lord, we want more family. We want more brothers and sisters. We want more brothers and sisters in the family of God, Lord. We want, we want the Thanksgiving meal, if you will, the marriage feast of the Lamb in heaven to be huge. So, God, how can you use us to save others, Lord, and give us by your Spirit the ability to share that gospel? And Lord, for those that are in this room, Lord, who either just committed their heart to Christ or who still have questions, Lord, I pray that you would minister to that, that you would grow faith within the heart of every person here. I pray, Lord, that, that some of them might, even as they're exiting right now, find their way to the prayer room with questions, that they might talk with an elder, that you might continue to save more. And I just pray for your grace on our people. And Lord, we thank you for our nation. We thank you, Lord, for the abundance you've poured out on us. We thank you even for the ability to share that with others. And Lord, I, I'm pastor here. I, I, I thank you for this church. I thank you for these people. And I thank you for how you delight in us. So we commit this first day of the week to you. And I pray we would carry this gratitude throughout this week. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. 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 Not like you're thankful. Amen. Amen. I know I sort of ended that on a somber note, but like thankful, right?
Listen, Wednesday night is a great opportunity to come. We're going to have communion and worship to start that out again right. But even if you're not able to do this, listen, don't just be naturally thankful. Be supernaturally thankful because you are understanding and remembering that God has been good to you. Amen? I love you guys. Have a great Thanksgiving. God bless.